Today is Monday, April 19th, and let's keep talking about COVID-19. So let's address what just happened in Ontario about the police measures to reinforce security and protection, because now what's going to happen is that the police will be able to stop anybody and ask for their name, their address, where they're going, why they're outside, because they're imposing a strict 24-hour curfew. And so I just wanted to address the fears behind this pandemic and how it's been managed because over a year it felt like the government could have had the resources to improve hospital care to make sure that we make good decisions and somehow more than a year later we're still here still battling and it feels like it's not getting better it feels like people have lost hope and we're not really addressing the issues behind staying home too often the impacts on our mental health the increase in overdoses suicides And let's look at it from a different perspective. So today I've invited a special guest, Mark, and he's very angry about this pandemic because obviously like a lot of people, his job has been affected by the pandemic, the same as his revenue. And I just wanted to share two stories with you that happened to me this exact morning as I was about to edit this podcast episode. So I had a class with a student from Hong Kong. So he told me that whenever you go to a restaurant, you have to download an app on your phone and scan it as you enter the restaurant. And that app can scan and report your name, your address, your phone number, and the time of arrival. And if you don't have the app or if you don't have a phone, you can also log in on the piece of paper and in putting the same information as you would on the app. And so the thing is, the restaurant can alert you and call you if they had a positive case around you. So you can make the right decision, be socially conscious, and confine yourself. So this way you don't stop the economy, the restaurants are still running, you can still sit down, enjoy your meal, meet friends, but they would still alert you in case a positive case happened. And some people might think, oh, it's really convenient. The government's trying to protect us and to make sure that we stay healthy and that we take proper measures, while other people might think that this is outrageous. Like, how do you dare invading our privacy like this and tracking us down on the app and looking at who we meet when we get outside, uh, what restaurants we go to, and it feels a bit oppressive and a lot of people who value freedom might feel constrained that then if I don't download the app or if I don't comply then I become a criminal. So that's the real debate of today's episode and I also want to share you a second story that literally happens this morning as I took the bus. There was a girl speaking on the phone while her mask was on her face and she was pulling her mask away with her fingers like from her face to speak and she got called out by another woman who told her to stop pulling on her mask and to put it on correctly and the lady on the phone said she had to hold it up because otherwise the mask would fall down and the other lady didn't really care she kept screaming and she kept being very nervous and she said that the the new variants are coming and they're really dangerous and she said she didn't feel safe being around someone who doesn't put on a mask properly she said that oh the virus is spreading and and if you don't put your mask on then we're all suffering from the consequences and it becomes this huge screaming match between a scared lady and a defensive one and here's the crazy thing no one said anything why because no one knows what to think anymore like we don't know who to trust we don't know how scary and dangerous this is and we don't know how much risk we're taking by you know just 
pulling on a mask. Like, what do you think in this case? Do you want your freedom to be breached or do you want your safety to be totally insured? It feels like we live in this divided world where no one just knows what to do anymore and so we just stay silent. We just let time pass by and it's been a year, it's gonna be maybe two before we can even start to make sense of this. And what are the real impacts of this pandemic when it comes to the death rate, when it comes to the long-term impacts of getting COVID or maybe losing your job as it has also affected millions of people who become homeless. Hello my friends, my name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hello on Education Monsters, today we are April 18th and we had this big announcement from Ontario about two days ago and I'd like to discuss that with my guest Mark. He's from Montreal in Canada and so we're here today and let's talk about this huge pandemic. It's been about a year. Thanks. Hi, my name is Mark. I uh, grew up here in Canada and lived here all my life. I've traveled a bit, but uh, mostly uh, lived here. And, you know, I thought that this was a free country so far from what I perceived, <laughs> but uh, apparently this has changed recently. Yes, I mean, by recently, it's been over a year that we're dealing with this pandemic. And I think it's important that we address the issues of where do we draw the line between, of course, like public safety and public health, of course, but also where does it stop? Because it's impeding a lot of our work and our freedom and also the way we, you know, have to get out because Let's also talk about the curfews. So we just learned from the news that the province of Ontario has put very extreme measures, as in a 24-hour curfew. So here in Montreal, we are currently dealing with a curfew starting at 8 p.m. And it used to be 8 before, and then it moved to 9.30 until recently got moved back just because few other cities had a rise in COVID cases. So by preventing measures, what they're trying to do is to prevent cases from rising up in Montreal, and that's the reason why or if you got moved down and a lot of people have been so unhappy about it they started breaking windows in the old port and to me this is like very tragic because coming from France I know that burning cars and like organizing this kind of riots kind of happen because we have a culture of going on strikes and of speaking loudly but coming here in Canada I really didn't expect this I felt like like a lot has to be breached in order for Canadians to get outside of their pacific mindset and just resort to that if you push a population far enough at some point some people are going to be unhappy with what's happening and they're going to voice it and if you prevent them from voicing it efficiently then you're you're liable to expose yourself to this kind of situation and i'm not saying that i'm condoning and not condoning that i'm merely saying that this is this is what's going to happen if you try to ascertain too much unreasonable control over your population for too long of a time without proper justification. Yeah, exactly. So here's the reason why I invited you here on this podcast is you've known all along since day one of the pandemic that it was going to go like to extreme measures at some point and we're just going through up and downs of, okay, we're not really knowing what's going on with this virus. We don't really know exactly what numbers are because it's very inefficient how governments have set up um, hospital beds and even counting and statistics being um, like fraud. So let's just like discuss how 
how not knowing just brings us to this place of divided nation and also how it's making us doubt everything and how the mistress of the government has been has never been so high yeah well the problem is that the information given is always biased by who it is given by so if you know if you have a specific way that you want to slant a news or a stat you can always show it in one way or another i don't have a concrete example that i can come up with right now no yeah for example like in texas so at the beginning of february they started um basically ignoring covid as in let's drop the mask and then if you fly there they're just like just relax you don't need to do the social distancing anymore they basically don't believe in covid so i tried looking up numbers and the website it was a uh, world meter i believe said that you could not report convincing data enough like it was just not possible to look at real data because they stopped keeping track altogether i think yeah there was uh, a friend i was speaking to today and he was saying that nova scotia reports zero cases of covid they don't have cases so you know it begs the question is it because they can't track it properly or is it because they just don't report any or is, is it really because they don't have any cases you know it's hard to tell it's really difficult to know no definitely it's like french polynesia they're like oh we depend so much on tourism that come here come here since we don't have covid here we just have a rise in pneumonia yes <laughs> Yes, that's it. It depends on how you want to portray the stats and the numbers that you get, depending on your personal interest, personal or corporate or governmental interest. Like we can have a big picture with the stats, but of course, this is uh, up to the scientists and the nurses and to all the programs to report it. And part of us want to believe that they're kind of true. And part of us also believe that they're a total scam to scare the population. But so the people that we usually trust are the people around us that we can talk to every day and uh, I know on my end people were super shocked that the pandemic was coming up because all of the government was saying like do not panic especially like Donald Trump was saying it was not a pandemic so keep living your life do not panic do not do anything and I think it's this big fear of not knowing anything that you don't want the population to freak out because obviously it's going to become chaos so people took the pandemic as like a break from their daily life and be like oh I really enjoy not commuting and it's really great because I get to spend more time with my kids. So, I mean, on my end, people were sort of happy at first. And then when it impeded their vacation and the fact that they could not travel or see their friends anymore or partying, for example, that's when it became an issue. But people were pretty conscious about wearing masks and putting hand sanitizer. So felt like that was also not too debilitating on an everyday basis. How has it impacted your life? I mean, the same as, as everyone else, right? So the this whole thing about keeping only the essential services, you know, if you if you have a business and you run your business and your family's food or lack thereof depends on the income of that business, then that business becomes essential. To you and to your family so it's the same thing we had to be closed for a certain period of time and 
I had to go in quarantine as well for another period of time. Definitely impacts the income. The industry that I work in, that I work in is, is absolutely impacted. You know, way less projects coming out, harder to find clients because they have less jobs and people are holding on on releasing, you know, production orders. So it, it makes the entire uh, industry go down. So what kind of industry are you in? I'm in the metal industry. One of the basic industries of the economy. Yeah, right, right. Because Montreal has a huge uh, business with airplanes and engineering. So it feels like the city is relying on this to thrive. I mean, the same way I think France would rely on tourism to bring in the money. So it seems like the landscape has changed a lot because then a lot of people do readapt to go back to school. So, for example, my friend has lost his job and then he's going back to school and he really hates it. So... Some people don't really know what to do with their lives and it seems like a lot of people feel like their job became meaningless because then if a crisis like a pandemic is able to shatter your career and make it irrelevant, I feel like that's when you realize that, look, I could be useful somewhere else. And I think it's not totally the mindset I have, but like losing my job due to the pandemic because we, like our research lab, like they lost their funds. I feel like this is making me reflect on the volatility of a job because if you cannot ensure stability, then you're always on the lookout. You're always like sort of paranoid. Like you always have to have more than one stream of income. And this is what the middle class is not thinking about is when you think that you've had your nine to five and you're secure, but it's definitely not the case. Like you could be on the streets anytime. And this is how I feel for the millions of Americans who don't have this security net. They don't have this parachute in case they lose their job. And so a lot of them will end up homeless and their families will suffer from Yeah, the day that your Thursday fix stopped coming in because, you know, the company that was providing you your Thursday fix, quote unquote, is no longer distributing fixes. You get pretty screwed because that's all you have. That's all you rely on. And then you fall into a, a society and an economy where it's really hard to get a job because you're not allowed to work. Your government said, no, 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 you're not allowed to work. And you end up with tent cities like there is in Montreal under the uh, under the bridge, uh, under the Jacques Cartier Bridge on Notre Dame Street. So That's crazy, though. It's pretty crazy. It's so crazy. And let's just clarify a few things like, yes, it is a, a pandemic. But a pandemic doesn't mean that people are dying. The definition of a pandemic only means that it's spread across the globe. That's all it means. And, you know, you have organizations that are, you know, top shelf, uh, you know, fact checker, like, you know, the CDC, which is pretty apparently trustworthy and scientifically advanced to be able to make these stats, went from saying that it was something, and I might be wrong on the numbers, but it's not going to be by much, but something like 30.5 six percent death ratio to zero point zero zero two six percent death ratio and then people are still freaking out they're still panicking after a year and after this top shelf authority released these numbers like people are just like oh yeah 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 it's right we don't die from this anymore but you know let's still just bow down to whatever the government says that we need to do in order to ensure our survival and security i mean where those numbers make sense is when you compared to other diseases and what's their death rate so let's look yeah. at heart disease let's look at cancer rates and let's put them together so how deadly is the coronavirus compared 
to something that we could prevent by changing a lifestyle, such as Alzheimer's or diabetes. You can easily, I don't know, work out more, eat less sugar, eat less fat, and then you would be in a better shape. And I think we should also be super scared of stress and lack of sleep and all these things. But somehow, I've never seen a society putting so much fear into that one disease. Mm-hmm. Although there are many others, you know, just because it's so it's so normal to die of heart disease. Yeah. I feel like we've normalized that. It, like, it you know, I know diets are so bad. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge cause of death, and but it's normal. That's what people die of. So it's just it's just a little crazy to think that you have something that has a way lower death ratio, but yet we're willing to you know shut down economies and force people to go to a hotel to stimulate. Uh, an industry that's having a hard time these days so you know the government help a little bit and force citizens to go spend money in the hotels if they travel you know. well if we go Crazy. back to the original argument that it's overcrowding hospitals and that hospital beds are taken by COVID patients there's so many of them we don't have enough respirators and people are not being taken care of properly i feel like i feel like this is also a good point where you know Somebody who has an issue, like their arm is bleeding and they cannot be admitted because there were not enough bed because there were so many COVID patients. So then in the end, you have to mutilate your arm. So this is what you get for instilling fear into your population. When 24 hours a day, seven days a week on all possible media, paper, television, radio, podcasts, 24-7, you're instilling fear in your population by telling them that they're going to all die of COVID all the time. And you have a live death count and a live case count on TV all the time. This is what you get. Your hospitals will fill up and not because people are dying, because people are afraid of dying. If they're a little sneezy, oh my God, I have COVID, I'm dying, I'm going to the hospital. That's what floods your hospital. If you know what the stats are when you start talking about it, instead of just alarming people with unsubstantiated data, then, you know, you might get a better result. Say, okay, guys, you know, we've looked into this, you know, it's a pretty bad virus, but in the end, yes, there's consequences, but the death ratio is low enough. No need to panic. Stay home. These are the measures that you have. You should be doing if you feel like you have symptoms. And then you start working on a solution. It's not true that after a year with the technology that we have in the 21st century that we're not able to at least manage. Forget make it better. Just at least manage a situation like this properly. This is ridiculous. I cannot believe this, that after a year, an organization who's paid billions of dollars a year are unable to come up with a, not a, even a solution, just a, a way to manage it properly. It's incredible. Unbelievable. Yeah, I felt like we're, more, we're prepared for war, but we're not prepared for pandemic. Isn't crazy? Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, you know, it's... There's a big money thing. There's a lot of money invested in our military. Therefore, they're better prepared. There's no money invested in our health system. So, you know. Well, but there's definitely definitely money in pharmaceutical companies. Oh, yes. That's that's (laughs) for sure. You know, like when, imagine. So basically the contract that they got for the vaccine, it's as if you're a car salesman and every government on the planet is telling you that they will force all of their citizens to buy their car from you. (laughs) This is... Literally what it is. This is hitting the jackpot. Oh yeah, and by the way, if there's missing wheel on the car, it's okay, we'll figure it out after. Don't worry about it. Or, you know, if 
uh, yeah, maybe the engine blows up after 10,000 kilometers, but it's okay. We won't know until 10,000 kilometers. So let's just sell the cars and we'll figure it out that. Yeah, it's crazy that vaccines have been released in less than a year or about a year. So just mathematically, the logistic of this, you know, how many trials and how many labs and how many people you would have to participate in this and how many animals you would have to participate in this for this to be done in such a short period of time like that's phenomenal it's almost unfathomable i know like a friend of mine also mentioned this that the people who were recruited for those clinical trials were usually minorities and especially black people because unfortunately those people needed the money so it didn't feel really fair to do this and to promote this kind of uh, behavior. Yeah, no, obviously it's not. I don't think it's fair to, you know, to promote being a guinea pig when, you know, these drugs are not even approved by the FDA in the United States. They're just allowed to be used under emergency measures. So it means that they have not completed what needs to be completed to be an actual approved drug from the FDA. But it's okay, you have a, a few million guinea pigs, so why not just try there and see what it does? Oh, and by, by the way, don't worry. If you maim or kill people, you won't be liable. We'll protect you from being sued. Because yes, these companies cannot be sued in the United States. So you mentioned a good point earlier, talking about fear. The fear of this virus that is not super deadly, and yet we are here forced to take this vaccine or else we can't travel. So it's springing from the same fear that there is fear everywhere. We're scared of the COVID, we're scared of the vaccine, we're scared of touching people, we're scared of each other. Like what's, according to you, a good solution for our future then to not divide people so much on opinions and also to improve our, our system of managing something that is so unknown because I think that's what the fear comes from. It's the fact that we don't know it. And actually, I just wanted to point out that in February, the first post-COVID clinic in Montreal was open, which is pretty late compared to the rest of the country. And it's studying the symptoms of post-COVID. So why do people live with chronic fatigue and people who also lost their sense of smell i think it's pretty important to study that because once we know i feel like knowledge gets rid of fear and because we don't have that knowledge because it's so new then we live with fear because it's always like what if and what if i'm the one you know what if i'm the exceptional person who never recovers and what if i'm the 20 year old who dies you know yeah it will it will happen that's that's what viruses do they go through your population they infect the majority of it and they get rid of some of them and then you move on <laughs> like this this is how it goes like even the worst viruses in the history of humanity that's basically what they do so so how do you get rid of this fear because you don't seem like a fearful person to begin with and not like you would have a smaller amygdala i haven't checked <laughs> <laughs> it might very well be the case but um I mean, the way to get rid of fear is, yeah, is through knowledge, to inform yourself and to verify and to be inquisitive about the things that you're told. When you hear something and it, you know, it seems like it makes no sense, maybe question it and research it and see why doesn't it make sense to you? Why doesn't it work? You know, why, why is there something itching in the back of your mind when you, you hear these things? I feel like it's way more natural for people who have been told to think critically to do this. But the average person, do you think they'll likely go on to PubMed and do their scientific research or even Google Scholar? No, 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 absolutely not. They take what they're told for granted. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the issue. That's why you have the, the divide 
the mask is a great example, you know, like, oh, wear a mask, oh, don't wear a mask, oh, you know, oh, you should wear a mask because, you know, it's for others, but it's also for you, but it's not for you really. But, you know, it, so what that does is that it will create divide amongst your population. And while people are going to be busy arguing whether or not you should wear a mask, they're not, the problem is not whether or not you should wear a mask. The problem is, should you be forced to wear a mask? If you want to wear a mask, you should wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, you should not wear a mask. But it's not about wearing and not wearing a mask. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other because they both have valid sides to them. But what I'm saying is the problem is not the mask. The problem is an organization or someone is forcing you to put that mask. And this is not okay by any stretch of the imagination. So if you could choose, you would not wear a mask during this pandemic? No, no, not necessarily. I think mask has value. I think it's way over exaggerated the benefits of the mask. But I also think that having something cover your exhaust pipe, quote unquote, is safer than not having anything. So no matter how good it is or or how not as good it is, it's still better than not having anything. So yeah, I definitely believe in wearing a mask. Mind you, there comes issues with it too. You have to make sure that you clean it regularly and that you keep it in a, in a clean place because otherwise it develops bacterias and that you can breathe in or have in your uh, on your mucous membrane and cause a whole bunch of problems. But other than that, yeah, I, I do believe that it has a positive impact. Now, should it be mandatory? Should you get fined if you don't wear one? No, I don't believe so. No, yeah, I don't believe in the fine. I think that's a little too extreme. But I think this is where the shift of culture comes from. So you and I live in Canada, right? So we come from Western country where it's not usual to wear a mask. Like we're not used to having something on our face. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that we're not used to it. But when you look at Asia, when you look at China and Japan, they're so used to dealing with pollution all the time. They keep wearing a mask even if there is no pandemic. It's just a culture of protecting themselves and making sure that they know enough about the environment, you know, not being good for their health. And I think it should be this way. When you're sick, wear a mask. Like when mm -hmm. you have a, I don't know, gastro, just wear a mask. Or don't kiss other people. Don't hug other people. But we just don't care. We have this culture of, oh, if you're sick, if you have a fever, just go to school anyway. You're a strong person. Otherwise, if you're in bed, you're weak. And I feel like it's not yes. a good way to educate people and comes down to education again, that if you know that you can limit the spread of disease by being mindful and not being scared to look weak because it's not actually a weakness, it's actually respect and yes. to have consideration for other people to not spread your germs. Yes, absolutely. You know, like if we have that culture of wearing a mask whenever you're sick, not just because of COVID and not as a symbol of, you know, being muzzled, But just as a consideration thing, I think it would be way more accepted, and especially if you grew up in it, normalize that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. As long as it's worn out of social conscience willingly, I'm all for this, and I absolutely agree with what you say. My problem is, as gave a good example as well, uh, when you wear it as a, as a shame muzzle, you know, because, oh, if you don't have your mask, you know, how, how are you not ashamed of not wearing a mask? You, you should be, you know... You should hide yourself and you should stay inside and no this is this is not okay when it's forced and when it's used as a manipulative tool like that it's absolutely not okay by any stretch of the imagination no but here's the thing we do agree with the mask though we're not anti-maskers like no, we do absolutely. wear masks like for grocery shopping and for absolutely everything indoors but it comes down to you know in france actually enforce wearing a mask outside and i feel like where 
wait, this is a little too much. Like you can't wear it outside because you might cross people, especially if you're going on hikes and people are going into two different directions. So you might encounter other people's germs because sometimes you walk too closely together. Sure. So I can see why it's preventive, especially for older people. I think those people need to be protected more than kids. Uh, I mean, when I see kids at recess, they do not wear a mask. No. So where do you draw the line exactly on who has to wear a mask? And especially, I think what's worrying here is that you get fined. So this is the yeah. what you were talking about, that we have to be restricted by punishment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it. And it's, it's not okay. A liberty stop being a liberty the moment that you impose a price or a condition on it. It's that simple. If you have to ask for a permission slip to do something, you're not free to do that thing. And saying that you're free to not do it if you don't want to comply doesn't make it a free act. It's not at all. Yeah, that's what, exactly what we're saying. It's like if you're not happy with it, you can always go somewhere else. That's not freedom. No, that's not freedom at all. Like it's, if, if you want to be free, you can go be free somewhere else. But here you can't be free. That's basically how that translates. You know, it reminded me of some states where abortion is not allowed. So they're like, you can go to another state if you want to get an abortion. And I'm like, well, then this is the definition of not acknowledging, yeah. you know, diversity and not acknowledging uh, differences of opinion. It's like, you can fuck off if you're not happy here. Yeah, it's called tyranny. If you don't do it my way, then don't do it at all. It's that simple. So no, that's not, that's not okay. Same as, you know having all your citizens on 24-hour curfew and, you know, allowing the police to stop any citizen for no reason whatsoever and ask them their identity and their address and why they're there and where they come from. And if, you know, your answers don't please us, then you'll be charged as a criminal. Like, it's insane. It's disguised military law executed by law enforcement under the guise of necessity. Oh yeah, we need to do this. We need to do this. Yes, yeah, so you were talking about this reality of being stopped by the police anytime because in Ontario you have this 24-hour curfew and some minorities, including Black and Latinx, can recognize themselves in this by being stopped by the police way too many times, way more than white people. Yeah, but the difference is that the police is not given the specific power to stop these specific people. In no, the never. Case, in the case of Ontario, it's by law. It was decreed by law that they gained that new power. And this is crazy. But yeah, I guess some people can relate to that because, you know, some law enforcement personnel, and not all of them, but some will abuse their power with some citizens because... They feel like they can for whatever reason, because the way you dress, because the color of your skin, because, you know, the way you look, because the way you talk, they say, ah, you know, this is a small fish. Let's go after him. It's going to be an easy one. But and, uh, yeah, you know, what's interesting is that earlier today we we're talking about power and greed. And I feel like this sums up exactly what's going on with this pandemic and also in general with racism is that people don't even realize that it's their It's part of their human condition. So also go check out the other podcast episode with Brian called Family Means Everything because he has this very interesting story about working for a pharmacy and his employer asked him to go check on black people, like to follow them. He was the only minority person working there and his employer was basically saying, well, then it's going to look less weird if a minority follows a minority rather oh, than wow. if someone white does this. 
And I feel like it's the same kind of mentality when you have a little bit of power, you want to test it out. You want to see like the limits. You want to see like if people are actually going to comply. And it's super interesting that it doesn't just happen in the police. So we do point out the police a lot because of what happened recently with uh, George Floyd and the Breonna Taylor. And it's happening everywhere. We just like yeah. we're just getting there little by little, you know, but it's worth mentioning every single time, every single case until it makes a big movement worth talking about. On social compliance, did you see that guy that stood in front of some corporate building with a lint roller and was lint rolling people before they uh, they came in? And he was not like in an official suit or anything. He was in jogging pants with a, like a jogging blazer type of thing. And he just had a lint roller. And as they were about to walk in the door, he would like signal them to spread their arms and they would. And he would lint roll them and then say, okay, you can go. And people would just do it. They would just comply yeah it was it, what yes 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 it's crazy it's crazy Our, just for the sake of showing that people comply to whatever yeah or is it that yeah. they really need to get the dust off their jackets no no <laughs> not at all it was just to show like social compliance like you're at the point where you know he was wearing a mask oh yeah the thing is it was wearing a mask like a surgical mask or something i mean i feel going. like this is a positive thing if if someone volunteered to clean my shoes before i entered the building i'd be like yeah sure please but i don't know if somebody you know trying to touch me with like an apparel somebody that i don't know i will question <laughs> what the hell are you you know <laughs> what are you doing there like before you touch me I, please give me an explanation and if your explanation is not valid i'm not gonna let you touch me i don't know i do believe in goodness just like the people giving free hugs like i've never been secure enough to give i mean i haven't seen them a lot in montreal but you know you see them all over the states and i don't know how i would react like free hug yes no I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not a big fan of letting people enter my personal space, so. That was pre-COVID. Yeah, that was pre-COVID. Yeah, I'm broken like that. <laughs> But yes, it's just absolutely crazy that 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 you can have a, a state, a government or country decide that, yeah, it's okay. The, the first or one of the first few points in the on the constitutional chart is you know freedom of assembly and freedom to circulate oh no now now you don't have those anymore yeah i know that it's written on paper but don't worry they don't exist because we need to take them away from you because of the big bad beer bug yeah but you know at the beginning i was actually debating you because we've had this conversation for quite a long time and like we were adversaries on this and <laughs> I'm glad that we finally, like, we actually came to meeting in the middle because yeah. I was really like, well, but you know, public safety is super important. Like, you cannot deny that, you know, public health only works if everybody complies at the same time because what's the point of letting people lose doing whatever they want and then they're spreading the virus and it's not for your sake, it's for all people's sake. And now the more we advance with this pandemic, the more ridiculous it becomes that measures are getting stricter and stricter and it's not decreasing cases at all. Yes, and nobody is going to make me believe that an organization that you pay that much money a year cannot within a year, within the period of a year, figure out some way to mitigate that better than what they're doing right now. But right? especially because I feel like the rules don't 
do anything like for example the curfew it's it's not like the virus is gonna show up after 8 p.m so like what does it do people are just gonna sleep over instead of going back home and people are complaining that oh you know what like my kid instead of taking an uber back from her party then she's just gonna stay home which uh increases transmission rate and i'm like what's the point like what's the point because people are gonna party anyway and i feel like i'm not advocating parties at all like I've haven't been to one at all but I feel like I respect people enough to understand that mental health is also important and some people who have been super depressed and also I think I've heard somewhere that overdose cases have increased due to depression due to loneliness and this like suicide as well. yeah suicide so these are really tough as well especially for young people teenagers Like, I get it. I do have compassion, like, all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, for sure, it's, it's going to have an effect. But the question you have to ask is, how bad of a virus is it that you have to start removing basic, inherent human freedom? Like, we're, our freedom to circulate, it, we're not free to circulate because somebody wrote it on a piece of paper. We're free to circulate because we're human beings and we are naturally by the rules of nature, allowed to circulate freely. It's Nobody gave us this right. It is an inherent right. And therefore, there shouldn't be anybody that is allowed to take this away. Like, it does not work. No, well, yeah, I understand it, especially because I found it super counterproductive. So if you have a curfew, let's say at six, which was the case in Paris, like not too long ago, then it forces people to just go home after the weekday and everybody cramps in grocery stores during the weekend so yeah. it puts more people in a denser population altogether because that's all they do they go get food yeah so it's definitely not smart i feel like confinement is just the easy way you know like you lock people down so you prevent them from spreading because they're not in contact but i feel like then you have to have somebody who decides what is essential and what is not essential so you actually have somebody Telling people, yeah. these people are allowed and these people are not allowed. Yes. So then where do you draw the line? Because when you were talking earlier about the essential services, these were not super consistent. So, for example, if you had a dog, you could get outside of your home yes. after your curfew. Yes. <laughs> But then you have a parameter. And so it says that dogs are important. They can go pee and take their walk and poop outside and it's fine. But somehow, grooming... Like, dog grooming is unnecessary, so they're not allowed to, you know, shave. Yes. <laughs> But then it creates dreadlocks and it makes them miserable. <laughs> yes. No, there's pretty... There's a lot of inconsistencies like that. Like, in the beginning, you were not allowed to gather in groups of more than 10, except if it was for business purposes. So what? Oh, no, 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 this is a business meeting. Let me wait outside the door for people to come out, you know? <laughs> and just it, a bunch of things like this that make no sense whatsoever yeah like a few months ago i had this appointment with my acupuncturist and it was interesting because uh you could book an appointment online and i saw some appointments outside of the curfew hours so i was on the phone with him trying to figure out you know it was my first time doing acupuncture in my life and then he's like 
oh but you know i had like a special amendment so you could actually book that time and i'll give you a piece of paper that, that will justify you being outside of, of curfew hour you know like he was selling it as like book with me because then you can have this piece of paper for the night absolutely like it became like a business thing now yeah absolutely <laughs> you want your paper for the night come see me give me a little bit of money i'll stick a few needles in you and give you paper and you can go walk around you know and do your stuff all night there's gonna be black market like this for permission slips basically you know wait until the covid passport arrive you know yes we did talk about the covid passport and how there's going to be a black market for it because it's inevitable of course it's inevitable that's that i mean hopefully we won't get there but uh, by no, the time they start not. to talk about it in mainstream media it generally means that it's gonna come to real to be real uh, you know very shortly but yeah there's gonna be a black market for those as well guaranteed I mean, how corrupt is this? Like, my friend from Brazil said that uh, a nurse got caught on camera giving a fake vaccine to somebody. Yeah. So he or she was injecting saline. And so, like, the patient just goes outside, gets COVID. And then they're like, well, the vaccine doesn't work. <laughs> well, you haven't, you haven't gotten it. And we don't know what they're doing with the actual vaccine, whether they sell it on the black market or they're giving out their relatives we just don't know but it, yes it's part of human nature to be corrupt to live on bribes when you're in desperate situations and this is exactly what the fear is doing but if we didn't have that fear we would have more rational behavior yes absolutely absolutely like you know your optic nerve takes up i don't know a crazy percentage of your brain resources and you know you have this optic nerve being attacked all day long by threats of you dying from a virus you know whether you acknowledge it or not it will play a decision uh, it will play a role in your decision making process but you know okay. there is a this study it was super interesting they were timing the number of seconds that it would take for an entire airplane to empty so you know for people to yeah. get out yeah and then for the second round, they told those people, the first 10 people get $5,000 yes. uh, when they get out. And so those people took more time to get out of the plane when there was an emergency than if they did calmly when there was no price. Yes. And this replicates exactly how people behave when they're scared. They just start doing shit. Yes. It's like <laughs> bad decisions and yeah, it, it leads to, you know, dire consequences. So that's that's why it, it's very good when, you know, you, you're a car salesman and you want to sell car to, cars to everyone on the planet. It's very good to make people afraid of not having a car. Ah, oh, you know, if you don't have a car, you can get mugged, you can get ro robbed, you can die, you can get hit by a car. So, yeah, it, there's a lot of money involved. And Do you feel like it's kind of like this with the gun industry in the United States? As to why people feel like they have to have a mean to self-defense so much because everybody else has a gun, so you have to have one? The problem comes there with those all those gun restrictions, laws, and all of this, is that... If you're going to restrict guns, you have to restrict them across the board, meaning that the government shouldn't be allowed to have weapons that the citizens are not allowed to have. Because the day the government decides that they become tyrannical or totalitarian government, if they're the only ones with the guns, you know... <laughs> you're pretty screwed <laughs> that that's how it goes so that's why i think that's why most people understand that it's a necessity to preserve their second amendment 
But it's like you have to be a good role model if you want your citizens to act accordingly and to be, you know, in harmony with it. And it's always a matter of mistrust. Like you never know what the other countries are going to do. So you're trying to anticipate. But I feel like anticipating with violence might not be the good long-term solution. It might be a great short-term solution, like to have a little war and then just be done with it. But I feel like long-term, it's not teaching the future generation to be educated about talking and going through problems and, I don't know, communicating so that both people might be happy and it's a win-win. Yeah, you're talking about a country that made his economy and history on war. The The number is staggering. They've, they've been at war for hundreds of years. Like, you know, I think it's... <laughs> You know, 95% of their existence, they were at war with someone. My gosh, you remember when we watched Lord of War? Yes. <laughs> yes. That was a crazy movie. That was a crazy movie. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. You know, that's what they do. That's what their economy is based on, you know. And now, nowadays, oh yeah, that's even better than that. Now, not only do we have now transgenerational wars, like the war in Afghanistan, like there's like, it's transgenerational, so there's fathers who went to that war and their son also went to that war but besides the transgenerational war now they also have wars without calling it a war there's going to be a situation in a in a country and they'll say oh no no no. we're just going to send troops to re-establish order (laughs) re-establishing order you know like it's like preventive measures and let's move the curfew like hey we found our our oil under uh under venezuela uh you know we should we should go get it back you know, but we're not at war. We're just trying to recuperate our oil that happens to be under Venezuela. Oh my gosh. But, you know, like, <laughs> we're not at war. We're, we're just, you know, checking, you know, to make sure that, you know, those evil poppy seed fields are well protected and guarded, you know. We're, we're not checking at war. out the view. Yeah, yeah. So that type of mentality, that's how their economy is made. So, you know, it, it's really easy. If you look at guys like anybody who ever, ever wanted to base their economy on something other than a barrel of oil or a Federal Reserve note, they all are terrorists, quote unquote, and they need to get some freedom, quote unquote. You know, Gaddafi, you wanted to base his money system on gold. You know where that gold went? In a ship on its way to the United States after they killed him. He needed some freedom and some democracy. So that's that's the way things go. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting topic, freedom. I feel like it was subjective and that, oh, you know, I would be the last person to go party or to get outside after 8 p.m. But I feel like once it gets too long, And once it increases in ridiculousness, this is when you have to be careful because it feels like it won't stop. It's a slippery slope. Yeah, that's how it goes. I have a friend that comes from a communist country in uh, Asia, Eastern Europe, around around there. And uh, it's funny because he says, really, seriously, like people pick up a book, like read history. This is how totalitarian governments happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like a clap their finger, military industry, it's people, you know, being blown up and getting shot by the military and there's a coup. Like, it's rarely like that. When it's done properly, it's done by little increment. One little shame muzzle at a time. And then eventually people, you know, give up. Give up a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And they end up not realizing, but hey, we're under an oppressive government. 
what is this? There's a guy named you know, Benjamin Franklin that said, if you're willing to give up a few essential liberties for the promise, the government promise of security, you deserve neither freedom nor security, because that's what it is. You should never, never, never let your freedoms and your essential rights be taken away from you. Under no no re reason, no guiles, no, there is no reason why this should happen. And Okay, but I did remember you talking about freedom, and like I said, it could be subjective based on who you're asking. And you said that I do want to have the freedom to do everything else, and so is everybody else, as long as it doesn't hurt other people. And here's the thing with the confinement, it doesn't really, it doesn't actually hurt people. So this is habit building. You're building a habit towards something that makes you more tame. Yeah. Once you're used to like listening to news and not really trusting anything, so you're just acting like your neighbor because then you're gonna get snitched on and you know like people get scared of like people snitching them. Yeah, absolutely. At the press conference uh, two days ago from Ontario that the journalist was asking her if you know neighbors should literally use the word snitch on their neighbor and she says well as far as snitching you know we all have a social responsibility oh my gosh <laughs> you know we should all snitch on our neighbors if you know we think they're, they're doing something wrong about covid like we should bring down the wrath of a militarily equipped police force with new powers that will allow them to harass citizens we should bring down the wrath of these people on our neighbor by snitching on them because we think that they're doing something wrong but here's the thing like 10 years ago i was working for a company and they sent an email saying well you should denounce your colleagues that are not working or that are playing too much or that are just taking too long of a break you should definitely like denounce them Yes. And I was like, wait, what kind of friend is, is this? And I'm like, wait, yes, you have to remember that at work, yes. not everybody's your friend, first of all. And yeah, there's always a part of us, especially for people who do not want to belong to the rat race, who want to emancipate themselves. And maybe they have to take this job because they have kids to feed or because they really don't have a choice. They might not be super passionate about it, but they kind of have to do it. And I feel like the worst thing you can do is, you know, it's not your fault you're not passionate, but you're kind of forced to take this job. And that somebody tells their boss that, oh, you're not working hard enough. And then you can't even provide for your kids. I feel like this is pretty mean. Yes, that's why snitching is a bad thing. Because it doesn't always work the way you intend it to. It can be used as leverage. You can have, And then you can generate you know, more work for yourself. Because then you have to veto or to proof check the snitching and it's just generally a bad idea you know if you want a security specialist hire one get it done properly but don't turn your your work environment into a, a blood puddle because you want employees to snitch on each other oh yeah idea. and it's so counterproductive because all it's doing is yes. like you're basically anticipating lying to your employer about what you're doing because you don't want to get snitched mm -hmm. so you like you know people scheme and people adapt and it's worse than that. You're actually making your employees less productive because the ones who enjoy that type of behavior will be spending time trying to look for people <laughs> to snitch on. You have thought of this? Of course I have thought of this. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. There's definitely those kind of personalities out there and they would just be like, oh, I think I hear loud music here. Let yeah. me call 911. Or, or, you know, like in the office would be like, let me take that extra, you know, walk around the office before 
I sit on my desk to see who's doing what, you know. But the problem is that person takes five minutes doing that and she does it three times a day. Well, that's, you know, an extra quarter hour that she's walking around the office to see if there's anybody that she can snitch on. You know? Okay, but here's my perspective because I do understand some people who do it because they get annoyed. So if I'm being empathic, I could understand someone who's taking all the precautions for COVID, washes their hands double mask and then just do social distancing avoids all social gathering not does not even take walks outside for fresh air but just stays home all the time and then she hears or he hears parties and it's like you know it's unfair like you're the only one doing the work so i can see why it's very frustrating when you're the only one not getting the reward soon enough just because other people are so dumb to keep partying and traveling and visiting places and not considering others so i feel like there's this injustice you know going on that i do understand why people snitch and it's like i, I don't think it's totally a bad thing either yes but freedom is unjust because if i'm allowed to do what i want so is my neighbor so yes, if i'm allowed true. to be at my place with the has suit and the tinfoil hat and you know he wants to be butt naked running across the street you know that's how this goes if i want to be free i have to accept that my neighbor is free as well so i cannot be resentful of his freedom unless obviously his freedom takes something away from me or from another human being without their consent no yeah what i'm saying is that it's easy for us to, to have this point of view because we're healthy and we're young yes but like i don't think we might have the same speech if we had a you know a condition not even necessarily being old but just like you know having some autoimmune diseases yes. we would want other people to be careful and not party and spread the disease because we might not know who's having it because you can also not show symptoms so we also have to be mindful of that and that's why like we do wear masks because it makes sense that you just never know yeah. who you're gonna infect like it's so small like the particles are invisible you can you can never be too careful but discussing freedom i feel like has its place in this context because since we cannot prove otherwise who infected who then we cannot prove who's who has the right to do what either yes absolutely and you can't you can't again you can't use the guile of necessity to take away citizens basic freedoms you can't say oh we we need to do this because we don't know so we need to confine everyone 24 hours a day and you know give the police you know a basically a martial law ma mandate this guy that's unacceptable you can you imagine if we did this for like diseases that we're not scared of like for example yes. diabetes if you had people going on to mcdonald's and be like you're eating too much fat and too much calories can yeah. you believe if that happened how people would be like oh well i'm gonna eat what i want because this is a free country yes exactly can you imagine like it's like <laughs> okay you want to you know you want to shoot you know, a needle in your arm, you go right ahead. I don't want any, but you want to do, you do you, it's fine. You know, don't put that needle in my arm, but if you want to put it in yours, you know, in the end, it's your decision. If I care a little bit for you, I, you know, we might have talk, I might try to talk you out of it. But in the end, you know, you're a free human being. You do what you want. And as long as it doesn't take anything away from anyone without their consent, it's not a crime. There's no victim. There's no crime. No, yeah, the key here is definitely to be educated. Yes. So you do want to know, like, you do want to research the vaccine that you want. I mean, I'm not sure because some people can get to choose the brand of their vaccines. Some people don't. They just, um, like, the clinic just impose it upon you. So the key here is to do enough research about the side effects and to weigh the pros and cons. 
and also make sure you're looking at the sources because it's easy to just pick you know the number one article the most popular article you never know if it's fake news because fake news spreads six times faster than real news so of course it takes time to do the research but just be careful because it's your health and that's the only one thing you care about because your body is the only place you have to live in so make sure you protect your health and not just follow the crowd like a sheep yeah absolutely make sure you do your research and you inform yourself and when you take that decision it's your decision not a decision that was given to you by some other untrustworthy outlet you know generally it's really worth it to to research it and have a, a variety of sources and compare them together and if possible not all from the same from the same pond you know if you're you know looking at the cnn and uh, mslsd it's the same narrative maybe you know <laughs> like it's good to have their opinion to know what they're talking about because the more information you have the better informed you are the better your decision is going to be but you might also want to look into other outlets and other sources yeah definitely well thank you so much mark for being here on this podcast would you have a last piece of advice for listeners yes i definitely have because we don't have all the information and all the solutions just make sure that you stay patient you stay calm and you take good decisions and stay safe as well yeah in the meantime like we can't answer everything but it's good to question stuff because obviously we do want to be good thinkers and we do want to be good role models for the future kids who are gonna take on you know this pandemic as a life lesson as well so let it be a good one for them and be safe wear your mask and just make intelligent decisions thank you so much thanks Aurelie. that was a great podcast i hope to see you soon me too bye bye if you love the podcast you can check out my blog education monsters it's education-monsters.com you can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my Patreon page. The link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcasts. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.